Hi, welcome to another episode of Playing in the Sandbox, Conversations in Pedagogy. I'm your host, Dr. Katherine Troyer. I'm the Assistant Director for the Collaborative of Learning and Teaching at Trinity University. I came up with this podcast because as I was wrestling with what separates good professors from great professors, the thing that kept coming to mind was play. And I don't mean play just as terms of incorporating classroom games. I mean play as an inspiring curiosity, motivating students to find enthusiasm within a topic, and learning to use critical thinking skills to achieve the goals that we want them to achieve, that they need to achieve in order to be successful. I truly believe that the difference between a good professor and a great professor is play. This is episode four, A Case for Curiosity. And in this episode, we're going to talk about what curiosity is and discuss some practical tips for how we can create and encourage curiosity in the classroom. There are a number of sort of, I think, instant reactions to the word play, and I'm not sure that many of them are very good when we're thinking about them in terms of pedagogy. Because if you say, oh, today I played with my students in the classroom, I think what comes to mind is like we went outside and played hide and seek, or we played tic-tac-toe and they got points for every correct answer. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. There's a time and place to go outside and learn, and there's a time and place to use tic-tac-toe to encourage spaced retrieval practices. But when I think of play, and when I encourage faculty to think about play, I don't really necessarily mean games. And I don't necessarily mean something that is going to, on the surface, be the funnest thing that your students have ever done in their lives. What I really mean when I talk about play is curiosity. More than just possibly killing the cat, curiosity encourages us to dig deeper. It encourages us to make greater connections because we find ways to think of topics in new light. We find ways to make connections between what we know previously and what we're discovering now. Curiosity has important ramifications in terms of producing, encouraging, and promoting learning. If you do even a sort of cursory search of curiosity and psychology or curiosity and neuroscience, tons of things will come up. And one of the first things that actually comes up is this sort of acknowledgement that there may not be a single definition of curiosity and that this might be one of the reasons why no one can quite agree to what extent curiosity ensures that we learn to a greater degree. I want to propose that we actually lose nothing in thinking of curiosity in a sort of more robust way. If we think about curiosity from all of these different perspectives, or from many different perspectives, I think it actually enriches our understanding both of what curiosity is, but also why it can be such a valuable tool in the classroom and the ways that we can promote it. So perhaps at its most basic, we can think about curiosity as being at its heart, 
about the question of what if. It is your who, what, when, where, why type questions. Curiosity is that urge to ask the question and then to seek the answer. When we're little, we do that sort of almost innately. Why? Why is the sky blue? When? When are we going to get there? Why do I have to go to bed? What is this? How can I eat this? There's so many questions that we ask and I think parents learn to humor us asking when we're very small. For lots of reasons, I think we have a tendency to stop asking the what ifs, the whys, the hows at a fairly early age. I don't want to blame any one source because I don't think there is any one source to blame, but it's hard to answer those questions again and again and again. It is hard to create an environment in which we are constantly encouraging that level of questioning and that level of interest because it takes more time. It is so much easier to say when someone asks why, because I said so. When someone asks when, when it happens. Or to just give them a more fixed, less sort of snarky answer of like 1245, that's when we'll get there. Why? Because that's what science tells us. It's much harder and it takes much more time to think of those questions as coming from a very genuine place of curiosity because the person asking it actually wants to know the answer so that they can better understand the world that they are in. It takes more time and it is harder in the same way that I think most things that we're supposed to do take more time and are harder. But honestly, the whole discussion of promoting curiosity and ensuring that it doesn't cease from the curiosity that we have when we're little to the curiosity that we have when we're older, a lot of that is really honestly a discussion for a different time. Because since we have not been, for the most part, in the lives of our students from the time they were bitty until they're 18, 19, 20 and in our classrooms, we have to create an environment that reminds them to return back to these questions, to not be afraid of being curious and being rewarded for that curiosity instead of shut down for it. And I'm not just talking about in a sort of theoretical sense. There are actually tangible things that you can do to spark or re-spark the curiosity that our students should have. One of the things that you could choose to do in your classroom in order to help spark a sense of curiosity is to do an activity known as a naive task activity. This is coming from a Chronicle of Higher Education article um, from June 2018 entitled How One Teaching Expert Activates Students' Curiosity. And this specifically is coming from Kimberly Van Orman, an instructional consultant in the Institute of Teaching, Learning, and Academic Leadership at the University of Albany. Kimberly Van Orman talks about ways that we can help our students to use prior knowledge to get them interested and invested in the activity or subject at hand that will be looked at from this point forward. She says, and this is a quote from the article, naive tasks require students to make a decision about a real problem, then reflect on and discuss their reasoning. They stretch students by asking them to predict a result rather than simply describe one that's laid out in front of them. A good example would be, and this was an example that Van Orman used with people that attended a conference, she had them try to decide which activities promote the most 
serious injuries. And so there's a wide range of things. And in groups, the participants of this conference had to get together and think, okay, well, do I think leisure activities cause more accidents? Do I think, you know, motor vehicles cause more accidents and, and sort of reason their way through? Now, in theory, no one in the audience had the exact information that Van Orman was going to share. But what they did have was a lifetime of having participated in leisure activities, having been in motor vehicles, having heard stories about people who had had accidents. And if you find yourself wondering, well, what's the answer? It's working, right? You're curious to know, okay, well, tell me now that I've sort of thought and reasoned my way through, what is the right answer? In this case, it's leisure activities. And then if this was an actual classroom, you could start talking about accidents, if that's the subject, or leisure activities and accidents, or how leisure activities differ depending on whether you're in urban or rural area. The sky's sort of the limit. But these naive tasks allow people to still accomplish something even from their state of naivete, where they don't know all the answers, and that actually makes it better for them because they're being encouraged once again to ask, what if, why, how, when? Another way to think about curiosity is to think about its function. Another way to define it is to think of it as what its purpose is, what it does for us. George Lowenstein in 1994 came up with this definition or description of curiosity. He said it was a cognitive induced deprivation that arises from the perception of a gap in knowledge and understanding. In other words, curiosity is something that happens because we realize that there is a gap between what we know and what we want to know or what we want to understand. And so in this way, curiosity can be increased, it can be sort of reproduced by providing small amounts of information, by giving them just enough information to make them hungry for more. There are a number of ways that this can be done in and out of the classroom. And one of the ways, and this is going to sound counter to sort of everything that you may like in your heart believe should happen in a classroom, but it actually is sort of a proven way to help people want to know more. And that is present them with a problem, present them with an activity, have them engage in something and don't tell them until after they've engaged in this problem, until after they have tackled the task at hand, how this relates to whatever content it is that you're going to be talking about. So case in point, let us pretend that you wanted to talk about bar graphs. Normally, I think our instinct is to say, hello, class. Today, we're going to talk about bar graphs. Now to get into that, let's talk about what your favorite flavor of ice cream is. Then you figure out flavors of ice cream, and then you show people how to create a bar graph with the X and Y axis and putting everything on there in terms of preference for ice cream flavors. But a different way of doing that would instead of sort of telling them up front, here's what's going to happen. We're talking about bar graphs. Now we're going to jump into this activity, but we're coming back to this big topic. Don't even mention the phrase bar graph until 15, 20 minutes into your exercise once it's clear that you've gathered this data or that you've thought about this issue. In other words, slowly provide them with information as they move along instead of telling them straight up front, this is what we're going to be looking at. In that example, what would happen is, is that you would just say, 
I bet your favorite ice cream as a class flavor is chocolate. And then everyone's like, no, it's pistachio. And then you're able to say, okay, well, let's figure it out. You start tallying up all that information. Then you say, I have an interesting way that we could choose to represent this data. There was a little bit of information. And then like, oh my gosh, there's a way that we can do this. And then you provide a little bit more information. The way that we can do this is through the bar graph. Let me show you how that's done. And so what you're doing is you're providing doses of information to help continue to pique the curiosity of your students. You don't have to have a degree in psychology to know that the more information we have, the better we're able to make decisions, the better we're able to search for answers, the more sophisticated we are able to be in terms of thinking through comparisons, thinking through uh, definitions. The more information that we have, the more we can critically think. Our job is to get students to want that information. Curiosity is a way to do that because of the fact that it makes people be intrinsically motivated to search for answers, to look a little bit further for ways that they can find the conclusions or the information that they need to be successful. The problem is, is that a lot of times we don't create assignments that allow for curiosity, either because we don't build in scaffolding so that students have time to be inquisitive and to think about topics. Instead, they think about topics right before a paper is due because they have to write it in three hours, so they pick the easiest topic. They didn't really have that time to sort of be exploratory and to think about, okay, well, what do I find interesting? What information do I know that I could find other information for, right? We don't often sort of create that sense that curiosity is something not only that we have time for, but something that we can be rewarded for. Curiosity is a way for us to navigate the uncertainties of our world. We look at something and we go, ha, huh, I need to make this work. What happens if I press this button? Ha, huh, I want to play with this thing. What are all of my different options for how I could use this device in order to use it in a way that's productive? Children do that instinctively, I think, because they haven't been encouraged to sort of know that there's a single answer or know that there is a right answer or an answer that's better than others. And so that's why children feel comfortable playing with toys in ways that maybe we as adults know is not the quote intended way to play with it or that we understand that there's a easier more sophisticated way to play with it children don't usually feel that same sense of censorship because they know that they can do so many things with it and that they will eventually find the way that works best for them they will eventually stumble upon the solution know which buttons to push to make something happen and in the meantime, they're going to experiment and try out and play. Promoting this type of curiosity, the curiosity that comes from being unafraid of what you're going to discover or unafraid of the path that it's going to take you down, the time that it's going to take, the resources it's going to take, that is about more than just building in time for revision allowing people to have time to revise their papers. 
it's really to sort of draw upon an engineering concept about encouraging our students to enter into a stage of redesign to actually say, okay, you know, I tried writing this as a research paper and it's flat, it's boring, it doesn't quite work. What if I put it into a podcast format instead? What if I put it together as a visual audio piece? These are things that inspire curiosity because you're curious to know, could I do this more effectively? Could I find a better way to communicate this? That's not what students are thinking about when we ask them to revise. They're thinking about what do I need to do in order to get the grade that I was told. They've told My teacher has told me the things that I need to fix. Obviously, these are the things that I need to fix. And so revision often becomes very transactional rather than transformational. But that's, that's really not what's at the heart of revising or redesigning a project. Really, it's about navigating the uncertainties and feeling comfortable that we have the opportunity, the time, and the resources to do so. So what can we do to encourage our students to actually be curious when they're working on a project that is going to span several weeks throughout the semester? It's all about creating low-stake opportunities. The more we can provide, the better. And low stakes means that they try something and it doesn't necessarily take them, you know, more time than they have. We're not asking them to put in seven weeks out of 15 for something that may or may not work. We're asking them to give us an hour to try something new. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. If it does, fantastic. We're asking them to try something new, knowing that we're not going to penalize them for having been experimental. I don't know if it is possible to talk about the history of Roman culture through a beat poetry format. It probably is. I don't know off the top of my head because I don't know if I've ever heard a beat poem about Roman history. But as a student, I'm sure not going to try that if I know that that's not what the teacher wants, if I know that there's a prescribed and fixed form. So some things that we can do to engender curiosity is to give our students little tasks along the way that allow them to try different forms. Give them an opportunity to revise once they've completed the normal, quote, normal research paper and have them now put it into uh, that beat poetry form. We could have them take a math problem and now they have to see if they can create a video where they have to provide a real world context where this problem or this solution would be applicable. We can give them situations and ask them to take this data and to plug it in and see, can I actually build something to this specification that's going to meet this accomplishment? Can I use this type of material to accomplish this goal? Curiosity can happen no matter where we're at, no matter whether or not there is at the end of the day, as is often true with math, a fixed answer. Two plus two is going to equal four. That's just kind of how it works. But that doesn't mean that with our assignments, we can't still create room for potential. So we can say, you know, hey, can you take this and reframe it? Can you take this information, what it means to add things together, and can you apply it to the situation where you have to know what would happen if you have these two things and you're adding them together? We have to teach our students to understand that the things that we are curious about, we have the freedom to be curious about. 
There are times where we have to just have assessments. There are times where we have to be really fixed in what we expect from our students. But there are so many times where the default is this very controlled and fixed avenue of expression. Instead of allowing them to think creatively, to apply their interests, and to use the information that they've been gaining in this new way. We chose our fields because we are curious, because we asked ourselves once upon a time, what if, what happens when, and we haven't looked back. This is how we've built our careers. This is how we've built our passions. We are passionate about things because we are curious about them. And it is our responsibility, I believe, as great professors to help our students to discover that curiosity as well. Curiosity is at the heart of play. And I say that curiosity is at the heart of play for a couple of reasons. One, play is about challenge. It is about allowing yourself this opportunity to take what you have and pit it against this other team, against your own prior knowledge, against whatever it might be. Even games that are not inherently competitive, you're still trying to challenge yourself to do your very best. And studies have shown that people who feel very confident but actually have no knowledge of an answer are less curious than those who have some knowledge about what that correct answer might be, but don't feel as confident. And play is about engaging in that sense of confidence and the challenge that is inherent to any type of play. I would also argue that curiosity is at the heart of play because play is inherently active. Whether or not you lecture or do primarily discussion-based seminars does not matter nearly as much as whether or not you are allowing for active learning in your classroom. This is coming from an article by Celeste Kidd and Benjamin Y. Hayden in 2015 that's looking at curiosity. And in there they say, quote, allowing a learner to expose the information they require themselves which would be inaccessible via passive observation, may further benefit the learner by enhancing the encoding and retention of the new information, end quote. In other words, curiosity occurs when we allow for active learning, when we allow for our students to have to search for and hunt for answers, as opposed to just being this receptacle that's receiving it. In this way, curiosity and play can be about fun. We have fun by asking ourselves, what if, what happens when, how can this new knowledge help me facilitate this new role? That, that's what play is. When it's in game form, it's what happens if I have these limited resources and I have to um, use them on my turn in order to make an advance. When we play with games that are physical. It's about what do I do when I get the ball so that I can get it past where the other team is in order to score the necessary points. Curiosity happens automatically in play. It is at the core of play and it is the reason that play is fun. Learning doesn't have to be fun in the same way that say a game is. But learning needs to be meaningful. And in order for it to be meaningful, it needs to be answering the who, what, when, where, and why of our world. Curiosity is proven to increase 
the amount of learning that happens, the depth of learning that happens, and the length of learning that happens. It's our job, I think, then, to help our students to find what it is in our subject that they're curious about. What do they want to know more about? And there are easy ways that we can start our class from the very beginning of the semester by promoting this. I heard a great example for math about asking the question, do dogs use calculus? And the answer is yes. And there's a video that shows how dogs, when they are chasing balls, actually sort of know the shortest optimal path in order to get to where they are and where the ball is. That makes me interested because now I want to know, can I do that? Can I have optimal knowledge of how to navigate the shortest distance or how to understand the world around me? I'm curious now. The moment you incite curiosity in your students is the moment that you incite students to be excited and to remember that learning is serious work, but that doesn't mean it can't be playful. I hope that you'll join me for episode five, where I'm going to look at what we can do in a very practical way to allow students some opportunity for variation. A lot of this episode was about the idea that we need to incite curiosity, which means allowing them to sort of think about what interests them. Well, oftentimes the answer is very different things from what interests or excites the student sitting next to them. But how are we supposed to assess that? How do we look at for example, a paper and a children's book in the same light? And how do we ensure that we're asking, no matter the task that we allow our students to do, for the same level of rigor in terms of their critical thinking and the amount of effort and energy that they're putting into the project? So for the next episode, we'll look at designing rubrics that can sort of be used across the board and thinking about students' learning outcomes as a way to create flexibility so that students can be playful in what they're choosing to do uh, rather than very fixed models. Thank you so very much. (laughs) 